And I hadn't at the time had a lot of what we would call hedge fund exposure. Like I had been a, I had done a lot of trading for people, but as far as modeling options and things like that, this was all a bit new to me. And sort of understanding the true risk or just getting a, a real understanding of, of what was at stake. I obviously knew if the market went down, it would hurt our position, but I didn't quite understand. I didn't have that first class seat, so to speak. So what happened is the following Monday, this is two days later, the market opened what's called limit down. And what that means is that the market goes down by so much that the exchanges halt trading. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. To reduce risk in your life, go to myworstinvestmentever.com today and take the risk reduction assessment I created from the lessons I've learned from more than 500 guests. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy. And I'm here with featured guest, Brent Kochuba. Brent, are you ready to join the mission? Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to have you. Well, let me introduce you to the audience. Brent is the founder of Spot Gamma, a financial insights company which applies its proprietary methodology towards modeling index and equity options and then provides unique content to its subscribers. Spot Gamma has thousands of members as has been featured in publications such as the Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg Markets. Brent, take a minute and tell us a little bit about the value that you bring to this beautiful world. Yeah, absolutely. So our entire business, all of our analysis is looking at how options trades here in the United States. And we look at the hedging flows associated with those options positions. And from there, we can forecast how stocks and the market as a whole will move. So basically, we have all of these options dealers that provide liquidity, right? They, they allow traders to buy and sell options all day. They need to hedge their risk. And it's the hedging of that risk that can often move markets. And so mm. we spend our time analyzing that and, and sending out our analysis to our, to our members. So maybe we can simplify this just by talking about the, the institutions that are hedging their risk. What risk sure. are they hedging? They're hedging the risk that the S&P 500 is going to crash? That's right. So for... The largest flows come from pension funds and index annuity type investors and things like that. And and they obviously have clients, many of them much like you and me. And when these pension funds want to hedge their risk, they buy what are called put options. And put options are essentially contracts which make money if the market was to drop. So they're essentially insurance policies. So what happens is when the pension funds need to buy these put options or the, to hedge themselves, they'll call a bank like, say, J.P. Morgan or Goldman Sachs and say, hey, look, I want to buy a thousand put options to protect my portfolio. And J.P. Morgan says, great. And they'll sell them. J.P. Morgan will sell them those puts. Well, obviously, if the pension fund is now hedged or protected if the market drops, that means J.P. Morgan is going to have exposure, right? They have risk if the market drops because JP Morgan sold the put option. They sold the insurance to the mm. pension. So in turn, what JP Morgan has to do is constantly hedge their portfolio. They need to hedge themselves. And so the way they do that is they actually sell stocks or they short stocks against those put options. And the flow of this of JP Morgan hedging its portfolio can have a massive impact on the way the market moves. One of the other times that was really fascinating, which a lot of your listeners may be familiar with, is if you remember the GameStop 
mania of early 2021, where everybody on this popular internet forum called Wall Street Bets started to buy call options. And call options are bets that the stock is going to go up. So if all of these people on Wall Street Bets and on TikTok and whatever else are buying call options and making a bet that the market's going to go up, well, all the market makers, we call them, who sold those call options are at risk if the stock goes higher, right? Mm. So the way that those market makers would, would hedge themselves would be to actual buy shares of GameStop. So in other words, buy these Wall Street Bets people betting that the stock, stock is going to go higher through call options, it forces dealers and market makers to buy stock to protect themselves in kind. And that can... As you know, the GameStop stock went up three or four hundred percent. So you're looking at these flows. Let, let's just look at an example. As as an example, I guess that there's when I think about insurance from like a, a pension fund or a large institution perspective, they probably have some insurance they're always keeping in their portfolio for maybe right. a, a long tail risk. That okay, exactly. you know, we just don't want to be blown out if the whole market crashes by fifty percent. And then mm-hmm. I suspect that there's at times when they say. We think the market is at, is at a higher risk of potentially falling, and therefore we're going to increase that position and try to protect or insure against that downside in the market. And I suspect that what you're doing then is when you're seeing the institution like JP Morgan or whatever getting more active in one direction or the other, you're seeing that either the institutions are putting on that trade and saying, we want to protect against this risk mm-hmm. that the market's falling or they're taking it off saying, ah, we're comfortable now at this point. And you're trying to understand those flows and then say, how can we as an individual or as an institution trade on the information that's being provided by those flows? That's exactly right. So there's right now, most people follow two classifications of market analysis. There'll be sort of a fundamental analyst. They'll say, what is the PE ratio of Netflix or you know, what are sales numbers for Apple this year? And, and forecast their opinion on the stock to that. The second was technical, right? Oh, look at it. It's a 200 day moving average of the use of Bollinger Band or something like that, right? Mm. And what we do is what I like to call a third classification, which is positional analysis. So what options do dealers and banks hold, right? Do they own, own a bunch of call options or a bunch of put options? And how are they going to hedge those flows, right? The way that you hedge options typically is by buying and selling shares of stock around these options positions. And so as these shares of stock are trading, they can impact the market in different ways. And that's what we're seeking to analyze. And what you mentioned before, you have a pension fund that will systematically hedge their portfolio. So what that means is they'll say, look, we're going to dedicate, let's say, 1% of our portfolio assets this year to buying put options to protect ourselves. And so every quarter, that's every three months, they'll roll new protection out, right? So that, that those positions, for example, just expired this past March. And on, at the end of March, they buy positions that will expire in June and they'll just keep rolling them forward as just straight protection that they would do. And then there's other times they feel, look, the market's a little shaky here, maybe because they think interest, interest rates are going to go up. So we want to buy some extra protection and we'll see that come into the market and we'll analyze how, say, Goldman or JP Morgan is going to hedge that and how they will maintain their hedging flow kind of throughout the duration of that portfolio protection. So put options and the options that we monitor have expiration dates. And those expirations are every month typically. And the biggest funds will hedge on expirations that are every quarter. So every quarter there, you'll see these positions roll. And if I could give you one example of of the impact of these, are you familiar with what day was the low in March of 2020? That was kind of during the COVID crash and the the big pandemic. It's it's kind of off the top, but yeah. So it was March. March Yeah. So it was a 
March 16th was the Friday of options expiration. Mm-hmm. And there were millions of put options expiring that day. You can see there's articles in the Wall Street Journal where Bridgewater, which is the biggest hedge fund in the world, had bought 100,000 put options, for example. And this was in late November of 2019. And they say, look, we don't think anything's going to happen. This is just our normal you know, method of protecting ourselves. Well, fast forward to March, that following March, there was an epic crash in, in the market. The third Friday of March is options expiration day. That's when all of these put options expire and they're no longer in the market. The low of the market was the following Monday. And from there, we saw what turns out to be one of the largest bounces in all time of all time. And that is because these put options that expire, when those expire, the, the dealers and the market makers, they no longer have the hedging obligation, right? They no longer need to short shares of stock to protect themselves. And further, when these options expire, they can cover, right, short cover all of the protection that they did have. And so that options expiration, the day after that options expiration is also the low of 2018, December of 2018. There's a famous incident of Christmas Eve low, right, where Mnuchin called banks and, and said, hey, look, the government is here to protect you. What do you guys need? And it turns out that was a day after a big options expiration. This past January is another great example. This past March, you know, uh, just a few weeks ago here, again, massive put options expired end of March. And so what you end up seeing is these massive stock moves that occur at the time all of these big put insurance contracts expire. So I'm going to share my screen just to show what I was presenting last night to my clients. And it shows us a little bit of what you're talking about. This screen for the listeners out there that can't see it, it shows my collection of the worst days, the 10 worst days. And they're all most recently, it's since I've launched this particular strategy, <laughs> The worst days have been in March, mainly. And we can see March 12th was down the... Now, I track a 60-40, 60% equity, 40% bond. And that Mm -hmm. portfolio was down worst on the 16th of March, which you're saying was the Friday? Yeah, so I'll I'll look up quickly to make sure I get my dates right because I confuse them. I think it was... Now, I'm I'm testing. Now, this is 60-40, so it may not exactly coincide with the pure market. But the point is, is that... Yeah, I apologize. You know, when- so it was March 20th is the fr- was the Friday expiration. It was the 23rd that was the low. So the intraday low came on March 23rd. Oh, okay. And here I've got March 23rd on That's here. That's right. So you can now- see your worst return there was, uh, yeah, right. So the March 23rd, and that is the, that's the day. So on that day, all these hedging flows can be unwound. And, and if you look at actual chart of the market, you just pull up a regular chart, you'll see yep. that that's where the bottom was, where we shot a good 25% higher for the remainder of the year. Right. And again, the same thing in December of 2018, that was the 24th. It was Christmas Eve was the low. And we saw you know similar movements. This is kind of another interesting thing I was just looking at is there was a, a massive expiration on January of this year. And the VIX high, which a lot of you know, VIX is kind of the fear gauge for the market. Mm. The VIX high came the day after that expiration. And what was fascinating to me about that is that after that expiration, we had sort of the onset of higher rates, like the Fed's. we were talking about this before, that the Federal Reserve is threatening to raise rates even higher. And then we had the onset of the Russian invasion into Ukraine and, and that mm-hmm. all that, you know, the put aside the, the unfortunate sort of human toll there. But that, that brought a lot of risk to the credit markets, obviously, right? And the VIX has still not made a new high after that, that January expiration, which I thought is kind of interesting because that, that geopolitical risk is quite elevated, um, you know, since January. I want to ask a, one one last question about the, just to f- wrap up the explanation. 
we talked about the institution that just is having a constant small level of insurance against the market crash. And then they increase that at some point in time, which sends a signal that on an aggregate, these institutions are starting to worry about a market crash. Whether that signal is valuable or not is a question. But then they send that signal, of course, they execute their their signal through the banks. And then the I guess, in theory, the behavior of the banks is a more powerful signal because maybe they're a more sophisticated player. And my question is, is are you looking at how the banks react to the decisions of those institutions? In other words, or do the banks just automatically pass that risk on to their other clients that want to take that risk or the banks bringing on some of that risk? And just maybe you could just help me understand that. No, yeah, it's a great question. And I think the way that the different we call them liquidity providers, right? Be it a big bank or everyone, or many of you may be familiar with the institution Citadel, for example, who's a market maker. Mm. And the way that they sort of hedge their risk depends on a couple of different variables. But in general, they're in the business of what's called making a market, right? They want to collect a little bit of what's called spread. They want to make a little bit of money on every single trade. Generally, they're not there to say, hey, you know, Andrew wants to buy Netflix and I think Netflix is going to go down. So I'm happy just to take the other side of that trade. Mm. Their business is to hedge out the risk or isolate the directional risk. Hopefully they make, you know, a couple bucks on each trade that they do. Maybe they'll take the trade that Andrew did and they'll find another person that they can lay off the other side. Right. And so what they're trying to do is, again, just collect small pennies and do a lot of transactions in general. Right. And oftentimes they can't lay off that risk. And so just to give you an example of, of a trade, if Andrew, if you thought the market was going to go down, you would call me and you'd say, hey, look, I'm going to I'm going to buy a put option from you, Brent, and I'm the I'm the market maker. I say, great. So I sell you that put option. So, you not yep. own the put. If the market goes down, you're going to make money. I'm short a put, which means that I will lose money if the market goes down. So there's a, a famous model called the Black-Scholes model, which most people use that model or variation of that. And that basically determines that model. If you just plug in a couple of parameters, it says, okay, Brent, to hedge your risk, you will use this function called Delta. And I don't want to get too in the weeds on this, but basically it tells me, look, I need to sell 50 shares of stock to hedge my risk here. So what'll happen is immediately when we trade, I sell you a put option and then I also sell 50 shares of stock. So that way, if the market goes down, the stock that I sold is going to generate some income for me, right? That made money, which will hopefully offset the loss that I had on that put option. Mm. And so as the stock moves around over time, this Black-Scholes model tells me exactly how many shares of stock I need to buy or sell to maintain that hedge and protect myself. And so Using that Black-Scholes model, we can forecast exactly how many shares of stock need to be bought or sold and how that changes over time. And that's really the foundation of what we do and the foundation of what the banks are doing, too. With a lot of the regulatory changes after the great financial crisis, you know, the dealers, I think, in general, the banks are, are kind of tied up in terms of, of the risk they can take, right? And at the end of the day, a dealer or a market maker is like any other hedge fund or even individual trader. You have a margin, right? You have a max risk. A market maker or dealer can't just take an, an excessive amount of risk. They'll get a, a tap on the shoulder from their margin or risk officer at the end of the day saying, look, man, you have way too much risk and a trader could lose their job for that just, just as our accounts could blow up as individuals. Right. So to wrap up this discussion and move on to the big question of the day, the question I have is who is the type of person that should subscribe to your service? And number two, 
what would they get from that subscription? And number three, how would they find you? Where should they go? Sure. So I'll take the, the last question first, that spotgamma.com. And, and what we do is rewrite a two times daily analysis. And we take all this sort of complicated logics and, and terms. And what we do is we look at the options complex. So where are all the put and call options positioned in the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ, as well as some of the individual stocks? And we say, based on all these options positions, here are the hedging flows. And here's how these hedging flows might impact the market. Mm. So we have a lot of people that are options traders, but we also have a lot of people who trade simply trade stock. We have people that are longer-term investors that want to be aware of the options market and its impact, particularly around times now where you have the VIX is very high and there's a lot of risk in the market. People want to know how are institutions hedging and, and what are the impact of those flows. And so that is really the core of what we do. We do offer a seven-day trial, so you can pop on to spotgamma.com. You can see our written analysis for, for a week for free and, and see if it's something that helps out your investment process. Fantastic. And I'll have links to all that in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen. So if that's something that's interesting, you check it out. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Sure. So I have a background uh, working for various banks, uh, Bank of America and Credit Suisse. And I worked for an options market maker for, for a while. So I was in the uh, institutional broker space for about 15 years. And one of my clients who uh, I knew fairly well wanted to start his own fund. And so my worst investment ever starts with making the decision to leave to work for this gentleman at this fund. And this was in August of 2015. So my final, my final job or my final day as a broker was uh, in early August of 2015. And at the time, the, the gentleman I, I left to work for ran a portfolio a small account that we were setting a track record. So for those of you who are not familiar with that, generally when you want to start a hedge fund or something like that, you have to have at least six months, typically more like a year of a track record of a performance schedule to get some investors, right? To to prove that you know what you're doing. So we started in middle of August, 2015 is when it finally got started. And the general strategy was to sell what are called calendar spreads in the S&P 500. So basically what you would do is you would short put options which are these insurance contracts that people often buy to protect themselves if the market declines. And so I was what was called the trader. So the gentleman I work for is what we call the portfolio manager. He's making the investments decisions. I want to buy this and I want to sell that. And I would say, great. And I would take his orders and I would actually trade them, right? I'd pick up the phone and call a broker and I would execute. So I was on the, the trading desk with him for five days and this is actually an interesting story because it, it applies to this third Friday of the month thing. And I don't know if you remember in August 2015, there was one of the biggest crashes at the time that had ever taken place in the markets. And it was for a few different reasons, but primarily this was around issues with the credit market in China. Mm. And it was a Friday night, the third Friday of August. And all of a sudden at the close of trading, all these massive trades started to go off right before the close of trading. The type of trades that you typically don't see, and, and they're clearly large institutions making these trades because there are tens of thousands of humongous put options that are trading in the market. And my boss at the time calls me up and he goes, this doesn't look good. I don't think we're going to make it through next week. He goes, something is up. So for that weekend, I'm really like kind of sweating it and I'm, I'm nervous about the market. And 
And I hadn't at the time had a lot of what we call hedge fund exposure. Like I had been a, I had done a lot of trading for people, but as far as modeling options and things like that, this was all a bit new to me. And sort of understanding the true risk or just getting a, a real understanding of, of what was at stake. I obviously knew if the market went down, it would hurt our position, but I didn't quite understand. I didn't have that first class seat, so to speak. So what happened is the following Monday, this is two days later, the market opened what's called limit down. And what that means is that the market goes down by so much that the exchanges halt trading. And they do what that. Is the, what uh, is the level that that, that stock Seven that At the time, I believe it was 7%. Okay. So, so overall market, not just any particular one. This stock, is the S and P five hundred, right? So the S and P five hundred is is considered the sort of the largest stock index in the world, yeah. and it comprises of five hundred of the largest U.S. companies. And so what generally happens too is that there's a, as you can imagine, things just break, right? <laughs> when the market opens down seven percent, and so obviously we we had had a, we had had a lot of problems with our portfolio there because we were short these insurance contracts basically that make money if the market drops. So because we're short or we had sold those, we're losing a lot of money because the market is dropping. Mm. And our prime broker at the time was a large bank. And what was interesting to me is that, as you know, if you have a brokerage account, there's a margin. And they tell you, okay, for your position, you need to have, say, $30,000 of margin, or in our case, it was $2 million of margin or whatever it may be. And so what happens is when you get that kind of a market drop, you're frantically trying to figure out how can I hedge my portfolio. So an option that we had sold for maybe say twenty dollars was suddenly against us, you know, five, six, seven, ten times that much, right? We had obviously had a portfolio of different options contracts, so it changed. But all those positions had had gone against us by five, six, seven, you know, maybe ten times in, in certain circumstances. So we were we were pretty much deep in the hole, and we're trying to figure out how to get our way out of this because at that point it's basically about survival, and so. What was interesting to me is we basically hedged our risk out in a way that it looked like, okay, we could survive this event. Because typically what happens when you get such major drops in the market and things break that it exceeds or, or it stretches too far, right? You usually will get a bounce back or some recovery in the market. Because often when things break, you know, people are forced to sell. People like us were forced to sell and the markets will often recover. Sometimes that they call that capitulation, right? It's It's... It's the final flush in the market. So we were just trying to basically survive. And what was fascinating in this instance, and one of my most sort of valuable lessons from this is that you have one margin, right? You have your personal trading margin, but your counterparty, the bank that you're trading with also has a margin for all of their customers, right? And so when you have one of these events, it puts the bank that you're trading with at risk as well. And so just as you need to try to find ways to hedge yourself and monitor your risk, the bank is doing the same thing. And this is something that a lot of Robinhood investors found out in 2021. If you remember with the GameStop saga, it was Robinhood that stopped a lot of trades, right? They turned the buy button off for a lot of people. And they they basically got a margin call themselves. And a lot of people don't realize that. Like you have your own margin call, but those margin rates change. And not only that, it's you're sort of at the the whimsy, so to speak, of, of what the banks want. And so what was fascinating to me is that even though we were able to sort of hedge out the risk in this portfolio, it was clear that the bank just didn't want our type of trades on anymore. Their risk was too high. And they set a new margin rate that was, you know, many magnitudes above what our capital was at the time. And so we were we were basically forced to liquidate and shut down there. And so, you know, that was my worst or the worst investment I was ever involved with. I mean, that was a that was a quite an experience. I learned a lot about how options work. I learned a lot about what we call convexity and and what happens when markets break. 
And so this was my worst investment ever, but it was, it turned out to be when I'm sitting there and suddenly I had been trading for a week with this guy and the fund was gone and I had just quit my job and all this sort of stuff. It was kind of a life-changing experience. In the end, it actually became a beautiful moment for me because it led me to understand options markets in, in a way that I probably would never have understood otherwise, right? right? And understand the way that the market functions in times of real distress. Mm. And I think that that has become a really valuable tool. And, and the way that the option market functions is that the core of what we do, do for work now in spot game and our analysis that, you know, you had a ringside seat to a really disastrous situation. And, yeah. and fortunately, I was able to take away. I learned a lot from that. How would you summarize the lessons that you learned? Number one is know who you're dealing with, right? There are oftentimes people who speak with authority or that you sort of put a lot of trust in, right? Particularly in terms of investments. And you don't know if they've been tested in the right ways. I mean, that's something I think that's, that is really important now. I mean, I think a lot of people are, they don't want to question authority in some ways. or They don't want to do sanity checks certain, mm. in, in certain ways on things and to speak up a little bit when things don't make sense, right? If, right. if you're short a lot of of positions that will lose money if the market tanks, you should ask about that, right? You should understand who who it is that you're dealing with. And the other thing is that with excessive reward, you know, if you're in a position that is going to make you a lot of money, that probably also shows that there's a lot of risk. The fund that I went to work for had an incredible return into the start of 2015. Until it didn't. Until it didn't. That's exactly right. And I think that that is a lesson that is hard to learn for a lot of investors over this past year where any stock you bought went up just lightning quick, right? 20% returns, 10% returns in a day were something that were commonplace over the last year. And bam, just like that, a lot of these, we call them meme stocks, right? Like GameStop and AMC, they drop 50% and then they don't bounce back again. Mm. And so, you know, those kinds of lessons, sort of just sanity checking what it is that you're doing, both from an individual trade perspective, but just what the way that you're operating in life, I think, you know, it was a real... (laughs) <laughs> kind of eye opener for me, right? I, I always wanted to, this opportunity to shift to the buy side, right, and, and to work for a hotshot uh, hedge fund manager. And I and probably, you know, looked past a few red flags on in some ways. So right off the bat, you went into out of the frying pan and into the fire, as we say. Um, yeah, it was literally but, literally four days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. L- luckily, that happened early on in that switch. Maybe that gave you a lot of stuff that you could carry into your own business. Yeah, There's it, a few things definitely did. Yeah, there's a few things I took away. I mean, the first thing is never, ever, ever go against this concept that we've learned about banks is that they will always take away the umbrella just when it starts raining. Yeah, and there's a there's a popular strategy that exists, and it still exists, where people do what's called short volatility. And that is a lot of people like to sell these put options that are insurance contracts. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because... Nine times out of 10, those put that insurance contract, right? That put insurance contract expires worthless. And so if you sell it or you short it, you pocket all that money, right? Right. But there is that one time in 10 where things just go very, very wrong. And we call this a negative skewed return that that one time that you lose, you lose horribly, right? And and it ends up being a very painful trade. This this short volatility trade was very popular in 2017 and in early January of 2018. And if you remember, there's a famous incident called Volmageddon where people use these, they're called ETFs or ETPs that, that would short VIX, right? And those all blew up spectacularly after having great returns. Overnight, 
because these ETFs basically blew up, they went from a value of say 50 or $60 a share down to zero instantaneously. And so it's these little things, you pick up pennies in front of a steamroller and inevitably that does not pay off very well. Yep. So one last thing I would take away is that it's like being on a boat, right? And you're looking and you're sitting in a really secure spot and, you know, all of a sudden there's a beautiful sunset and you realize that everybody on this boat is going to go to the other side and tip the <laughs> boat over. And it's that moment that you're saying, don't, no, no, don't everybody go. And they're warning everybody, don't go. But ladies and gentlemen, they will go. And yeah. it's not, you know, it's, so what ends up hitting you is a secondary effect. It's not your own thinking that was very solid and all that. There's a secondary effect. It's not like how an earthquake caused a tsunami in Phuket, Thailand here. It wasn't something that happened in Thailand. It was something that happened very far away, but had a secondary effect. So I think that is a big lesson out of this watch for these secondary effects. And the only way you really know secondary effects is having been in the market for a long time. So, Yeah, and, and understanding you know, what it is that you're involved with. I think that there are people who understood the risks of you know, the risks of these strategies, certainly, you know, if I, if I could be myself, if I had my current knowledge, you know, from back in August, 2015, I'd hopefully we'd have a much better outcome there. Right. And you can actually oftentimes profit from times of, of dislocations in the market like that, but understanding what it is you're doing. I mean, I think that, that nowadays there are so many flashy investments in crypto and all these other yeah. things where, you know, people are chasing fast returns, right. And they're looking for a fast way sort of to make a bunch of money, a get rich quick scheme, right? Turns out and it's the highway to hell. It turns out to be a, you know, a brutal thing nine times out of 10. And, and a lot of times you only hear about the one person that succeeded, yeah. right? I think this is something that you see with like a, you know, like the ARC fund, for example, and, and how amazing the performance was there. And, and a lot of that is simply because, you know, out of all the funds that one happened to be doing the best, I mean, it wasn't necessarily that they had a particularly good investment strategy, right? It's just kind of right, right time. time, right place. And people will chase those returns and, and oftentimes it ends up not doing too well. So understanding what it is you're involved with, not looking for the shortcut, these are sort of people will oftentimes roll their eyes when roll their eyes when you hear these kinds of things. But th those are the tried and true ways of, of succeeding, I think. Yep. Last question. What is your number one goal for the next 12 months? So we're very fortunate that we're going to be in part of a documentary that's coming out on MSNBC and Peacock about the GameStop saga were part of this analysis that that took place when well, obviously when GameStop went crazy and AMC and some of these other stocks. And so mm -hmm. we're really focused on over these next 12 months of using that platform to do a lot of what you're doing here. And that's educating the public and yep. educating people on on the power of of options and investing in the market, but but doing so you know, with an institutional lens, doing so without that get rich quick scheme, right? Of understanding mm -hmm. the way that markets work. And that's really what our mission is and our goal is. And we're excited to hopefully, you know, grow a lot with, with our subscriber base and, and helping people much like you empower them, right? And yep. teach them to fish, so to speak. Fantastic. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. If you haven't yet taken the risk reduction assessment, I challenge you to go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now and start building wealth the easy way by reducing risk. As we conclude, Brent, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of A. Stotts Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? I don't. I appreciate everyone's time tonight and, and look forward to, to hearing from everybody in the future. Fantastic. 
And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host saying thank you for joining our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. I'll see you on the upside.